Praise the Lord this morning. Everybody doing all right? Everybody get some rest, huh? Everybody sore from playing something you shouldn't have played last night or throwing your hip out of joint, throwing a dodgeball or something? Everybody making it this morning, huh? Probably got a feeling I might have to wake you up a little bit. Anybody wondering, uh, I'll tell you what I might do if I, I don't want to uh, be too disrespected, but stepping down here, I'm going to do a little more teaching this morning, I'll work to try to engage you. No, no, you're fine. I can, I can hold this little thing. Um, thankfully, my eyesight hadn't gone yet. You just bear with my voice this morning. Um, I'm going to talk to you about curiosity versus conviction. Everybody have a cell phone in here today? Huh? Everybody? Probably the youngest person in here even has a cell phone. So we'll address some of those things today. And I may even get to the point where we have a little bit of, of conversation. Is that all right? Huh? Is that okay? You know, talk back to me a little bit. We may ask some questions. Um, Genesis chapter 3, we'll start there. <clears throat> if you have your phone, you want to look at it with me, or you have your Bible. Genesis 3 and verse number 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. <clears throat> Remember, we, we'll kind of build off what we talked about last night of the questioning Carter, I'm glad you decided to get out of the bed this morning, um, show up. So he says, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he starts with a question there. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. So Satan starts off with a lie. We discussed some of that last night, and that's why we must know the Word of God. We established that last night very strongly. Let's look at verse number 5. For God knows that the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes are going to be open, and you'll be like God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave and also to her husband who ate. And the eyes of them both were open and they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And the, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? So we'll talk about curiosity versus conviction. Carnal curiosity requires a covering that receives a call from God. He says, where art thou? Where, where, where are you at? I don't ever want God to be looking for me. Amen? Everybody wanted to, to, to attest to that. I don't ever want God to be trying to figure out where I'm at. Ultimately, that's the decision we have to make. And ultimately, that's what we'll be judged by. Um, <clears throat> I tell our students all the time, probably uh, one of the greatest uh, questions you'll have in, when you're reading the scripture of saying, you know, God says, depart from me, I never knew you. That don't make any sense, right? How do you not know me? You formed me in my mother's womb. You tell me all throughout the scripture in all 66 books, it seems like that you know me. So how can an all-knowing God say, I don't know you? The reason he can say, I don't know you, is you woke up one day and you chose you were going to serve him. And you woke up another day and chose that you weren't going to serve him. You chose to pray today, but you might not choose to pray tomorrow. So therefore, he didn't know from day to day what you were going to choose to do. He didn't know if today you were going to reach in to the forbidden fruit, and tomorrow you were going to listen to his voice. So he, it, it's not that you didn't serve him, because he says right before that, he says, you've cast out devils in my name. 
You've done my, mar marvelous works. You've seen sign wonders. It's not that you don't know me and I don't know you. It's simply that I didn't know the decision that you were going to make because you've been given a choice to say I'm either going to serve him or I'm not. So there's a battle within. There's a struggle within your mind. There's a struggle within every decision you're going to make. Are you going to listen to the voice of God or are you going to be drawn away by your carnal curiosity, right? It all begins with just one simple commandment from God, obey me about the tree. There's not a long list of commandments and laws. It's just as simple as it could possibly be. We've got paradise and perfection. We've got everything that's supposed to be the way it's supposed to be, the way God made it with one rule. Everybody say one rule. One rule. And we still couldn't make it. One rule. And mankind still was drawn away. There without sin, without shame, without any of the things that we deal with, but the result of disobedience, we see Adam and Eve had a desire to know. That's what it comes down to is knowledge. Why is the question asked? Why, why are all the things that we discussed last night, everything we'll discuss this morning, is it, is it that still the thing that ultimately plagues mankind today is a desire to know? Firsthand, I can tell you all day long, that the food down at whatever restaurant's good, but until you go taste it for yourself, you can't say for yourself that it's good, right? So ultimately, that, that whole experience, needing to know firsthand, but there's some things that I pray to God that I was able to dodge because somebody older than me or somebody went before me and said, hey, you really ought not do that. You really ought not be in that atmosphere. You really ought not try that, right? The fire's hot. But what's the first thing you want to do when they tell you, hey, don't play in the road, right? For some reason, a 13-year-old is going to jump out there and see how quick he can run across it. Huh? Why, why is it that you, you, so it ultimately comes down to one question, right? Can you take God at his word? Can you take your parents at their word? Can you take your teacher or your principal or your pastor at their word and say, hey, I trust that. And you're going to live by that. Or do you have to know for yourself? That's what it comes down to. Can you trust the voice of God, conviction? Or do you allow your carnal curiosity to draw you away and put you in a situation you never intended to be in, but you just wanted to know? You never meant to be here. You never meant to be in the situation where you felt disconnected from God and disconnected from the people of God, but ultimately your curiosity drew you away. A desire to know firsthand or to take somebody at their word, it, it's risky because it requires trust. It requires us to be able to trust not only the voice in our life, but trust that they want what's best for us and those sort of things. And we, we, we although we know that, there's, there's many times where we, we don't really understand and it's, it's, the numbers are kind of fluid at the moment um, based on statistics. But, you know, your frontal lobe doesn't develop till 21, 22, 23. And so ultimately... You have the ability to understand consequences and actions. You touch the fire, it's going to burn you, right? You understand the consequences of your actions. You don't study for the test, you're going to fail. There's consequences for actions or inactions. Something's going, there's a cause, there's an effect. You understand those things. But your frontal lobe's not developed enough right here as you sit in this room today to take those consequences, put them in front of the actions, and make the right decision. That's why we don't put you in a room all by yourself to educate yourself just to read the book and learn. We give you a teacher. 
right? If you put a bunch of students in a room without accountability, all of a sudden a fight's going to break out. Somebody's going to be burning the place down. They're going to be hanging from the chandeliers. Something bad's going to happen, right? Somebody's going to get offended. Somebody's going to get hurt. Something, Because something, you just don't have the ability to say, hey, that's dumb. Hey, that's stupid. You know, I, I see young men all the time trying to get attention of a young lady. They'll do some of the dumbest things I've ever seen in life just to get them to laugh at them, just to get them to, you know, to, just to, to, to notice them. But it's like you don't have the ability to take and put... So, so in some sense, I want you to just, you know, kind of give yourself a break. Say, I mean, that was a dumb decision. It's okay. That's why you need leadership. That's why you need the Word of God and the voice of God and the people of God that, that have already experienced those things and made some mistakes and say, hey, you really ought not date out of the faith. Or you really ought not do this. You really, you know, if you're struggling with some of those things, you really ought to look at the music you're listening to. Or you really ought to look at some of the things that are influencing your life. So they've experienced some things. They've been through some things. And it's burned them. And therefore, they can say, hey, don't do that. But can you take them at, your, at their word or you've got to know firsthand? There's some young people right now. They're backslidden. i got a couple that's in jail. You hate to say it, but they listen to the same sermons that the people sitting on the pew listen to. But they had to go figure it out for themselves. They couldn't take me at my word. They couldn't take Pastor Carpenter at their word. So ultimately, what, so this is the question this morning, what do you want to know? What do you want to know? That's what it comes down to. Because you can be sincere, but be sincerely wrong. You can be highly motivated, but bad motives. It's a thing of, what do you want to know? You can be passionate, you can have strong desires, and the Bible even says God will give you the desires of your heart. And that sounds wonderful. But what a powerful scripture if you have the wrong desires. The book of Judges is all about God's people. Who he did everything he did for. For 300 years he allows them to have no king and do what was right in their own eyes. That summarizes the whole book of 300 years. Why does God do that? He allows them to be conquered by the culture. Two pages into the book of Judges, and for 300 years allows them to just meander and wander and be conquered. Why? Because that's what they wanted. They wanted a king. They couldn't trust an invisible king. They couldn't take God at his word because they couldn't see it. So when you can't see the outcome and when you can't see the things that ultimately you want to see happening in your life, and it don't make sense that I would say, hey, you need to do this, that, or the other. You need to refrain from this. Well, that don't make sense to you in this moment. Can you trust God at his word? Because there's always, especially in, in, in young people's lives, there's going to be this tug, a war that goes on between your curiosity and your conviction. Titus 2 and 11 says, for the grace, the Bible says where sin doth abound, grace is that much more abound. I want you to understand what grace ultimately is. Grace is not some elastic, misused Thing within our, 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 our movement. Grace is not something that you just use as a get out of jail free card type of thing. Okay, you can do whatever you want and grace will pull you out and, 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 and those type of things. Titus 2 11 says, For the grace of God bringeth salvation is appeared unto every man, teaching us. Grace is a teacher. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The more sin, everybody agree that our world's getting a little more wicked. The more sin, what does that require? More grace does about, more teaching. We've got to understand. We can't be ignorant concerning Satan's devices. We can't be ignorant uh, concerning the, the things that are attacking us or coming against us. So where sin abounds, there's got to be more teaching. I've got to understand what I'm up against. I've got to understand what I'm battling with. So knowledge, 
is the center of these fighting factors. Knowledge is the center of the struggle. However, the ability to surrender knowledge, the ability to surrender knowledge, I need you to understand this because this is a pivotal moment of you understanding. Sin starts with knowledge. Carnal curiosity to reach in and to experience versus the voice of God. That's the struggle of sin. That's the struggle of mankind. So knowledge is the center of those things. What have we in the past I don't know, maybe 10 years surrendered more knowledge to than anything. How do you get from A to B? I don't know. Just punch it in my phone. Hmm? Every question, every need, a contact, my social life, everything has found itself on our cell phones. They call us today users. Only other thing that calls you users is drugs because we've become addicted. Scientists are just beginning to research the phenomenon, but their studies suggest that we're becoming increasingly distracted, spending less time in the real world and being drawn more deeply into a virtual world with every update. We're seeing ancient brains in a high-tech world. We're only 22 years into what is known as the internet age. And one day we'll stand back and look with more precision at what our smartphones are doing to our brains, our hearts, but for us, especially our souls. We don't have the leisure, however, as a generation, especially leaders of this generation, to sit back and postpone reflection, postpone evaluation. Because what I'm seeing is I'm seeing young people that are in the promised land or in our pews, so to say, but they're being educated by Egypt. Because you can be in one place, but ultimately not be present. You can be in one place, but your mind, your heart, your attention will be everywhere else. I'm, I, I'm present, but I'm absent because ultimately this thing will think for me. It will answer all my questions. I don't really need to know anything that you're saying. I don't really need to know really even what you're talking about this morning. I can ask Google tomorrow. It'll think for me. I've surrendered knowledge to it. We've become driven by curiosity. We've been, if there's anything that that phone's doing, whether it's laying next to you, it's in your pocket or in your purse, it's driving your curiosity right now. Studies show that you're going to be more productive in the classroom, in your workplace, wherever you find yourself, if you'll leave that thing in the car. Because right now you're wondering, has somebody posted something? All the knowledge, all the things that you can have access to, what's the score, what's the predictions? Has she followed me? Has he commented on this? What's going on? It's that whole fear of missing out, but ultimately it's one thing, knowledge. It's curiosity. Every swipe, every update, every new app. Am I up to date with the newest reel? Am I up to date with the newest filters? Am I up to date with this? It's all this curiosity, driving force like never before. I'll let it do the work for me. I'll surrender all my thinking to it. And it's a powerful thing when you begin to think of it. And it's just direct contrast. Because ultimately, the devil has no ability to create. He can only imitate, right? So he's going to imitate anything that God's done. And ultimately, that's why he understands the struggle is knowledge. The struggle is being drawn away. So, so why is it so hard to take the same action with God that you take with that little three-inch-by-five-inch three piece of metal laying next to you? Anybody tell me what the definition of faith is? 
substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Ultimately, you could say it this way, three words, doing without knowing. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm still going to walk. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but I trust God, right? It's doing without knowing. Ultimately, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's this whole knowledge thing, but we're much quicker to listen to Siri than we are to listen to God. Think about it. I, I know that's, that's pretty straightforward, but we'll listen to Google Maps, but we'll dodge God's direction for years. Huh? We have more confidence in Google's definitions of a word than we do our Bible or our pastor's. Why is it that we can take and give all of our trust in that thing? I read an article the other day where a guy turned left. Why? That's where they told me to turn. But there's a lake and a ravine right here. That's where it told me to turn. It says, I've reached my destination. Turn left. He turns his car off into a lake. Why? Because I trust that phone. That's where it told me to go. There's no road there. Why is it that it's so easy to give trust and surrender knowledge? Phones are, are, are some of the most powerful devices on earth that says now we have more confidence in them than ever before. In fact, parents have a lot of confidence in them because we see statistically that phones are tra training children instead of parents. 51% of moms claim to be addicted to their cell phones and spend 37% of their time on social media outlets a day. Parents and kids in the same room, same house, same table but have no clue what's going on in each other's life. They text goodnight instead of tucking somebody in, walking upstairs, expressing themselves. I care far more about how I look in a virtual world than I do in the real. Most common thing now is second screen binging. You're watching TV, you're watching Netflix, you're watching something on one screen, but you really don't even know what's going on because you've got another screen in your hand. Why? I need to know. I need to take in as much information and make sure that I know what everybody knows and I'm not missing out on anything. We've slowly opened ourselves up to a device feeding our carnal curiosity built on algorithms that are ultimately making you from click by click become the rat on the wheel. There's no algorithm with apostolic in its code. There's no algorithm with Christianity and its code. There's the algorithm's built to make money, to take you where it wants to take you. I don't know how I ended up here. I just started off searching something on Google, and now I'm watching people catch alligators in a trash can. How did this happen, huh? How do you find yourself all of a sudden drawn into this hours of watching YouTube or hours of watching reels or hours of just... It's kind of like what we talked about last night. You're not necessarily doing anything wrong. You're just wasting your time. You're not necessarily doing anything wrong. You've just not set your affections on things above. Huh? It's not bad content. I'm not saying everybody in this room is addicted to pornography. But you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. He's just distracted you with meaningless information. Technology companies have carefully aligned the algorithms to not just grab your attention, but to create constant curiosity. Many scientists say the pendulum has just begun its swing in a direction that we are nowhere close to seeing the major effects of social media. Most of the time, there's nothing new, but it's just like anything else. 
don't know about you, but you, you know, you have those moments where you, you can't miss a shot or you hit that one good golf shot. For some reason, it keeps you going back, you know. It's that, that one thing, that one moment. Huh? Why, why is it that they have that one sale at the store? Huh? To keep you coming back to see if there's going to be a sale next time, right? It's that one moment where they drop that little hint of dopamine in your brain and makes you feel like you're something and it releases a feeling inside of you, whether it be inappropriate or it be giving you a sense of, uh, of, of what you feel like that you need to make you feel like that you are somebody and that comment or that like or that heart or that direct message that all of a sudden gives you a feeling that you haven't felt in a while and it'll keep you opening that app like a robot. I tell my students all the time, hey, it's time to shift up your apps. It's time to move them around. Why? Because before you know it, you open that thing and you don't even look. You don't have to look at your phone. You've already hit Instagram. Go back to it. 30 minutes later, you realize, hey, what have I done with my day? Right? Move it around. Put it on the last page. See how much your, ba- your brain is trained to go to that certain thing. Swap social media with Bible apps. Swap social media with something that's productive in the kingdom and see how many times you click something. You're like, hey, there's the book of the Bible that I haven't seen in a while. Just moving them around because we become trained and the application ultimately in our life, these devices have made life so easy that we wouldn't want to dare consider life without them. And that's where really when we get down to it this morning, it's more of an application that you have to decide as a generation what is it that you're going to do about it. Because what I'm finding in a conversation I had just this past Saturday with a group of about 130 students in Indiana, they, they began to discuss and they realized that they were more aware of it than their parents are. But their parents are just as addicted. Grandparents are just as addicted. Why? Because we've never lived in the land of the internet. We've never lived in a moment where I've got a brother-in-law that works in marketing. He, him and I talked the other day for an hour and a half. He said, hey, when am I supposed to put this down? When, how am I supposed to? Because the minute I don't answer the text, the minute that I don't answer the call, the minute that I'm not available to the world, I might lose a client. I might lose a sale. I might lose a job. So I'm just supposed to be readily available to anybody and be accessible at any moment. So it's not just you that's facing it, but ultimately your generation's got to make a decision to draw a line. I refer to it in the book, and, and, and I encourage you to get the book, not because of anything. It's, it's mostly everybody else's information. I've just made it relevant to apostolic students. There's, there's, a, there, there, there's a line that we've got to draw. Proverbs refers, refers to it three times. He says, remove not the landmarks that your fathers have set. Live not in the fields of the fatherless. You're living in the fields of the fatherless, not because you don't have daddies and grandpas and pastors and preachers, but because you can't move a line that's not been drawn. When I was growing up, there was lines in the sand, Brother Weir. My dad said, hey, we ain't going there. You're not going to hang out there. You, every, every church, every community, every culture had its lines. Right? But now we, we, we're doing good to obey those lines because they're not relevant. I don't have any kids. A, a long-standing, and I'm not, I'm not imposing this on anybody, but a long-standing church line, pastoral standard in our church was, hey, we don't go to the movies. Guess what? They don't want to go to the movies. That's easy. But we've taken on new land. We've got new territory. We've, we, we've come into a new place with the Internet where why would I want to go anywhere? 
Why would I? We, we see with some statistics. Let's dive into these. No socializing. In no rush to drive since the invention of the iPhone in 2007. Less dating. Less fornication. More likely to feel lonely. Get less sleep. We're living in a new land. I used to be able to go in and, hey, this is youth camp. We got four or five easy rules. That's simple. No guys in girls' dorms, no girls in guys' dorms. That's pretty, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you do that, go home, you do anything stupid, don't blow nothing up, no fireworks, no drugs, you know, it's pretty easy. Like, hey, you just got this list, do this, we'll have fun, we'll be all right. Now you can be in a guy's dorm without being in a guy's dorm. Those lines are irrelevant. Yeah, they were good for my generation, but you're living in a land called the Internet, and you have to make up your mind. And we as leaders have got to draw some lines and say, hey, we're not going to have this app. We're going to establish as a church culture that you don't take your phone to your bedroom at night. You leave it downstairs on the table. We're foolish to think. We're crazy to think that I can hand a 13-year-old one of these. Say, have fun, buddy. No, there's no difference in that and overseas. We can get mad about them strapping bombs to people. But they may be dying physically, but we're killing students spiritually every day we handle one of these without accountability. Foolish. So we're living in a land where you have to make, to, make sure as a culture of your youth group, of, of your, wherever it is that you're accountable and you've got collective conscience that says, hey, this is right and this is wrong. You've got to say, hey, we're not going to have these things. At our school, we have a list of apps. You have one of those apps, you're gone. Is that straightforward? And I expect the culture to be, Carter, that if you know somebody that has one of those apps, right, we want to keep a collective conscience and a culture that says, hey, so-and-so's got this app on their phone. Why? Because I want them to make it to heaven. It's that serious, not just because of submission, to the man of God and the word of God because that's biblical, but because I'm looking out for your soul, that you can't have your soul opened up as a portal to carnal things. The bottom line is this. You are scrolling through what a previous generation called sin. You can't do it. You can't have an app and not have strong parameters. You can't have a phone and have, not have strong parameters on it and not be exposed to what a previous generation would have had to go down to the store to buy would have had to search out. No, it's in front of your eyes every single day. So what's the line? You have to determine that. Since the iPhone was released, and I hear just a few more statistics and I'll move on. Homicide, homicide among teens and college students has went down and suicide has increased. What does that tell me? You hate yourself more than you hate anybody. I would love to go back to the days where there was, a, there was two boys fighting in the bathroom and broke a bathroom stall. But nowadays, I'm, I've got paperwork that I fill out multiple times a year and have to send a student down to the crazy house and give them the straight jacket of love because they have said they're going to commit suicide multiple times. I have to file paperwork with the sheriff's office. I have to file paperwork with counseling sessions and anxiety and depressions at an all-time high. And I'm not, making, I'm not making light of that, but the bottom line is this is telling me one thing. Since 2007, there are marching statistical lines that lead hand in hand. They're just marching side by side, and there's no doubt that it's corresponding with social media and the Internet. 
It's, 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 uh, it's very depression. All these things, they're all highly connected. Studies have shown that cell phones right now, they dictate and manipulate so many things. Companies are figuring out, making workers leave their phones in their car. It tests have been done at universities. In the room versus in their vehicles is astronomical. You say, I battle prayer and Bible reading. The statistics show that you in this room today spend an average of five hours and 45 minutes a day on your phone. 13% of your generation on average are more like 10 to 12 hours a day. My carnal curiosity and my Christian convictions. There's a battle going on, and whatever you feed is going to win. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. You sow meaningless information into your heart all day long, you'll live a meaningless life. You say, I have no purpose. Yeah, because you haven't put anything with purpose in your heart or your mind all day long. You're feeding your senses, bombarding your senses every day with negative and worthless information. And you are not the Christ. You are not God. You cannot take in all the information that you scroll through. So-and-so lost their job. She's pregnant. He's with her. They have a runny nose. They didn't get invited to the sleepover. I needed to know what you ate for breakfast. Just meaningless information, right? And we get drawn into this distracted it's way more time with the portals open to social media than we do the portals of anything spiritual we, meet, we need to feed more than ever before I'm thankful for moments like this where we feed the voice of God worship prayer reflection devotion consecration because we've got to we've got to Proverbs says to be carnally minded is death. Spiritually, spiritually dead. You've got to see the reason that you're not happy. You've got to see it's not your looks, it's not your age, it's not your dad, it's not your mom. It's not if you're single, the amount of money you make. If your parents are in church or out of church, ultimately it comes back to one thing, your cell phone. It's influencing you more than you realize. And it's giving you more, giving your generation ultimately more excuses than you've ever had. I've got a lot of stuff here, and again, I can go on and on. It's just kind of a proverbial soapbox that we could discuss. But as in my studies, Brother Hughes, it's, over the years, I, I always told myself, this is. This is statistics from whatever university and the statistics from whatever on the internet. And this person did this with how many kids in California, extremely liberal or extremely this or extremely that, whatever the excuse was. I'd look across to young people on a Wednesday night and think, it's not in here. 96, 97% of these kids go to a Christian school educated by Holy Ghost filled teachers. They're not hearing anything that's causing their mind to wonder. They've got good parents, parents, elders, good people. It was a Wednesday night. I brought our students in. I was just needed to know. 
my wife began to hand out papers and pens at the door, and we <clears throat> simply asked them a question. There was no prodding. Carter's in our youth group. I, he could attest to this. There was no prodding. There was no big prayer meeting. There was no, hey, tell me your deepest, darkest secret. There was nothing of, of that nature. Just ask them to finish a question, finish a statement, so to say. I said, I want you to finish this. I'm going to give you 10 minutes to do it. Write it down. If you need to sit, you know, find somewhere to, to sit down or you know, go be in a private place. I said, finish this. I said, I wish my parents or my pastor knew blank. 140 some odd pieces of paper piled up there on the front of the platform at the end. I put it in a bag, took it home, and I'll never forget sitting in my closet have a little space there in the middle of our closet where we iron clothes at. And I began to open that as my wife was getting ready, changing the, the I remember the, the moment so clearly. She's literally changing my, my youngest and putting on his pajamas, getting him ready to put him in the bed. And I opened up the first piece of paper. It says, I wish my pastor and my parents knew that I was having thoughts of self-harm having thoughts of suicide. I wish my pastor and my parents knew that I was addicted to pornography. I wish my pastor and my parents knew that I wasn't a virgin. On and on and on and on. And as I began to take and pull each piece of paper and make a pile, begin to decipher through, I found myself in the wee hours of the morning realizing that if I take the percentages of this 140 student and I apply them to the statistics that are in this book. Leanna, they were all the same. Why? Because we hadn't realized yet that it's a problem. And we haven't realized yet that TikTok's TikTok, whether you're apostolic or not. And we have been for years now somewhat ignorant concerning Satan's devices. So I come to you this morning very, very stirred in my spirit. And I am every time I talk on this because I feel like we want to ignore the fact because no, nobody really knows what the line is. But I feel like that you know. You personally know. Yeah, you can hide the app. Yeah, you can hide the conversation. Yeah, you can send it with a disappearing effect, and you're more savvy on them than the previous generation. So you have to draw the line. You have to make some conversations happen within your youth group and young ladies. You need to get together and say, hey, I hate the way this makes me feel. I hate the comparison, constant drawing and and, and, and I, I, it, it's so frustrating because it's not real. It's not real. That, that you're sending stuff that you know. You're send, and, and this is just a, a small example, but how many times you send that crying emoji and you ain't crying? How many times you're going to say LOL and you know you're not laughing out loud? How many times are you going to post that picture and you know you've got so many filters on it and the brick behind you is twisted all kind of ways and it ain't real? I've told our girls so many times, I said, I pray to God those boys don't show up and meet you in person. Huh? We have bad days. I wake up, huh? 
and I have bad days. You wake up sometimes and you got pimples on your face and your hair's turned all kind of way. That's reality. Things don't go right. Things aren't always beautiful. Things don't, in real life, you can't put a filter on it. In real life, you can't send it a thumbs up because it's thumbs down. And ultimately, God moves through those things. God moves through reality. And all the emotions that you're feeling are not in need of another app or another conversation or another text feed. They're in need of an altar. And the things that you're feeling, you say, I feel anxious. That's what this is for. That's the mercy of God drawing you to repentance, that you were not consumed and you did not fail and you did not mess up. Why do I feel the way I feel? Because God's trying to draw you to a place that has a solution. This has no outlet. It's a clogged drain. It's a, it's, it's a more, it's a more and a more and a more and a more. And it's just that there's no outlet. There's no release. So why is it that you feel the way you feel? This is the solution. It's a drawing of God to say, hey, I've got something for you, but you're just going to open up another app. Why do I feel the way I feel? Because God's trying to draw you back to him. So what's the line? You have to determine. There's some of you sitting in this room today, if you're honest and you're only as strong as you are honest. There's some young men. There's some young ladies. You'd be better off not to have it at all. For years, generations, believe it or not, we made it without those things. I see eight-year-olds walking around with them. Nine-year-olds. My son's six. About to be six. No, about to be seven. Lord, help me. He thinks he needs one. I told him he's a fool. He thinks he's getting one. You know, it's just, it's not wise. And you can read all through it. It's just like Charles Darwin on his deathbed denies everything that has to do with evolution. Steve Jobs will tell you he never let his kids have one. There's something that, there's something that speaks volumes to me in that. But ultimately, we've got to learn how to be in the world but not of the world. We've got to learn how to be in it but not surrender to it. Use it, but don't let it use us. So it comes back to this. Here's my, here's my question. You have, you have to determine what is it that you want to know and how much are you willing to surrender to it. Because if you surrender all your knowledge to it, then you're serving it. It's not serving you. Does that make sense? You, that, that's the deciding, that's the, that's the seesaw effect of it. So it comes back, it, it takes me back to one passage of Scripture. He says, it would be better for you to enter into the kingdom of God With one leg. In other words, it'd be better for you to hop into heaven than to come strolling in on streets of gold. Huh? It'd be better for you to come in without an eye, he said, without an arm. Live inconveniently here in this present world than to miss heaven. So if he would be so extreme to say, hey, you need to figure out how to operate life without an arm. You need to figure out how to operate life and depend on people and other things because you can't see or you can't hear or you can't walk. How much the more would he say, I think you'll be okay without this thing. 
fast food, but fast this thing too. Put it down. I think we, we've made somewhat, and I'm, I'm going to close here and give this back to Brother Hughes, but I think we've made hard things. We've made, we've made easy things hard. Don't, don't let the devil fool you into thinking that prayer is hard. Prayer ain't hard. Just talking. The more, the more difficult thing is finding the time, right? Because you've been, you've been so distracted. But don't, don't, don't chalk up spiritual things as being difficult. Prayer and Bible reading is not hard. Carrying shingles in, two, in you know, 102 degree weather, that's hard. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's things that are hard. There's things that are difficult. And prayer and Bible reading is not hard. You got me? I, I, get so, I get so frustrated. Students like, I'm tired. Well, what are you tired from? You sit in a classroom listen to a student all day. You know, a teacher teach you. I mean, you ain't done much. What are you tired from? Most of them are tired mentally because of these things. They're trying to absorb and take in all the things. But ultimately, don't make something, don't, don't be deceived. Prayer's not hard. Bible reading's not hard. You just have to make up your mind you're going to do it. There's some things in life that's going to come at you that's difficult. There's some things that's going to come at you that's hard. But living for God's not one of them. You just got to choose, what do I want to know? I want to listen to the voice of God and trust the voice of God. Or am I going to be drawn away by my own, not anybody else's fault, my own lust, my own enticement, my own desires? Because there's nothing stronger in this room this morning than your desires. Oh, the power of God is strong. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. There's nothing more powerful than his name, but all you only have access to those things if you desire those things. God works through your desires. He said, I'll give you, I'll give you the desires of your heart. I want you to stand in this place today. I believe it'd be in order for us to close today. Just a time of prayer, a time of searching. If you would find you somewhere across this place, whether it be at this altar or in your pew, wherever you want to make a place, but I pray that you would just take some time and say, God, I pray that you would search my heart. Come on, could we do that this morning? God, I pray that you would search my heart, know my mind, know my ways this morning. God, I pray if there be anything in me, if there be any desire in me, God, if there be any bad motives, God, search me. As David said, try me today, God. God, put my body, soul, and spirit on trial today that you would know my thoughts, God. You would know my heart, Lord, that nothing would be in me that would be, God, unpleasing to you. God, I want to walk uprightly before you, God. I want every part of my life, God, to be solely dedicated to you. Come on, I hear some of you beginning to pray. Would you do that for just a few moments before we close out? Come on, would you lift up your voice and consecrate yourself? Come on, if you'll consecrate yourself, if you'll draw some lines in the sand, God will use you like never before. Oh, God, we need you to touch this generation. God, we need you to give us wisdom. God, we need you to guide us like never before, God, that we may walk uprightly. God, we might be used in your kingdom, God. We might walk, God, in righteousness, God, and create not just a path of righteousness, but a past of righteousness that says, God, God, I've proved myself to be worthy, God, to be a vessel of honor, a vessel of trust, oh God, a vessel that you can anoint and feel and use, oh God. Oh, use us, oh God. 
Oh, I feel his presence sweeping into this room right now. Come on, if you just open up your heart. Make a decision today. You're going to get rid of some things. Make a decision today. You're going to remove some things. Might be a contact. Might be an app. It might be a time of soul searching. But could you dedicate your heart to God? Oh, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you today. somebody in this room needs to be honest about your condition, needs to be honest about where your heart's at. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Come on, search yourself this morning. God, I don't want to live a distracted life. God, I want to set my affections on things above and not on the things of this earth. God, I want to invest, oh God, my life in your kingdom, oh God.
Is it all right if we make our way up to the front right now? I feel like God's not done. And I don't want anybody to be distracted right now. Let's make our way up to the front and begin to pray. And really do some soul searching. Really seek after God, after His His will for our life. Get rid of the desire, the, the evil desires. Get rid of the distractions. Put your delight on Him. Put your desire on Him right now. God has spoken to us by the word of the Lord. beside you. Forget about the activities we're about to do. Forget about what you're about to eat. Just focus on the Lord right now. Practice not being distracted. Put your focus on Him. Put your desire on Him. Let your delight be in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit thy way into Him and He shall bring it unto pass. Hallelujah, Jesus. Well, close your eyes, lift your hands, surrender to Him. Make some commitments today while the conviction is in the room. Make some commitments today. Ask God what He would have you to do. Ask God, what would you have me to do today? What what would you like for me to give up? How do I need to monitor my screen time? God, show me. Some of us may need to go on some social media fast. Some of us may need to do that so that we can get a detox spiritually and mentally. Come on, commit some things into God. Make some commitments while the conviction's in the room. Don't wait until later when the devil starts speaking to you and the distractions take over your mind and you forget about this. Let God speak to you right now. Open your ears. Open your eyes. Open your heart to receive what God wants to say right now. In the name of Jesus.
now lift your hands and just sing that tag right there. Say, I'm yours. From the bottom of our hearts, sing it. right now we give you all of us lord our hearts our minds our souls we belong to you jesus we belong to you jesus we refuse to be distracted by the devices of the enemy god we give you everything right now all of me is you is yours oh god everything is yours jesus we surrender all to you right now jesus So we sing, I'm yours. We sing, I'm yours. Hallelujah, Jesus. I commit my way into the Lord. I delight myself in the Lord. You will give me the desires of my heart. You will bring it to pass. I surrender everything to you, Jesus. Come on, let's sing it. Say, I'm yours. first love why don't we return back to our first love right now <laughs> so many of us have been distracted from the one we really love the one we really want more than anything we've been distracted by, by the things of this world by the attacks of the enemy though they may be so subtle why don't we return to our first love today do the first works again. Oh, we repent right now. We repent right now. For all the times we've let ourselves be distracted from the will of God. I wonder, I wonder today how many years have been wasted. Because we haven't committed our way unto the Lord. Not just 
minutes, not just hours. I wonder how many years have been wasted. I feel like many of us ought to be on another level than we are. We ought to be in a higher place in the Spirit than we are. We ought to be closer to God doing things. I'm speaking to somebody in the Holy Ghost right now. God's given you dreams. God's given you visions. God's shown you places that you're going that He wants you to go, but you haven't seen it yet because you've been distracted. Are you hearing me in the Holy Ghost right now? I know I'm in the Holy Ghost. You've been distracted and, and your, your, your promise has been delayed. Your calling has been delayed because you've been distracted and you've allowed yourself to, to delay prayer time and delay the Word of God and God can't use you if you're not committed. So today is a day of commitment. Day, today is a day of recommitment because God has called you to greater things and just watching Instagram and YouTube and looking at Facebook and Twitter and all these things that distract us, playing video games, watching TV. There's so much more for us. We can't miss our moment. We can't miss our time. For the devil has come down with great wrath, knowing he has a short amount of time. That word wrath is intensity. While you're relaxed and you're being lazy and you're just chilling out and numbing your mind with all those mind-numbing apps, the devil is full of wrath and full of intensity. You're just sitting back in your leisurely element. You're just sitting back lazy and, and, and relaxed. But the devil is intense about what he's trying to do because he knows he has a short amount of time. Everybody say time. It's so valuable. It's so important. And the enemy you are facing today knows that there's a short amount of time. And he knows if he can distract you, you'll lose track of time. And you won't have any more time to do what God's called you to do. Lift your hands one more time. One more time. God, we surrender to you everything. We give you everything, Lord. God, let us not be distracted from our callings. Let us not be distracted from the promises. God, let us not be, be, be carnally minded, but to be spiritually minded. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. No more anxiety. No more worry, no more fear, no more depression, but life and peace. God, we surrender our minds to you. God, we keep our minds stayed on you. For thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. God, we set our minds on you. We set our affection on things above, not on things in the earth. Not on the temporal, but on the everlasting. You are the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And we surrender our lives for you to be the King of our lives, for you to be the Lord of our lives, oh God, for you to father us, oh God, for you to guide us by the Holy Ghost. We set our minds on you. We set our hearts on you. We set our souls on you, God. We, we lay aside every weight and sin that so easily beset us. We lay it aside. 
whether it's sin or just the way we lay it aside and we set our affection on you God Hallelujah. I feel in the Holy Ghost that tonight's going to be an absolute breakthrough in the Spirit. You're going to come in tonight focused. You're going to come in tonight with those things out of the way. And we're going to move straight into a mighty move of God tonight. In Jesus' name.